Hello, and welcome to the Songs of Loss and Healing podcast with me, Douglas McGregor. This is a podcast about exploring the connections between music, death, loss, and healing through conversations with musicians, artists, practitioners, and academics. We want to ask what role does music play at times of loss? How do artists relate to these themes, and how can music help us cope with loss? Today I have a conversation with Alex Nielsen and Harry Cooper. Harry is a creative producer, coach and facilitator. She's worked for Sound and Music, the British Music Collection and Sound Mix, among others. She has a special interest in the therapeutic nature of the music and also collective and safer spaces for music. Alex is the creative force behind Alex Rex and Trembling Bells. He also has an impressive list of collaborations from Shirley Collins, Alistair Roberts and Will Oldham. Alex's latest album, Otterburn, explores his experience of grief, loss and trauma following the tragic and sudden death of his brother. We're currently listening to Uses of Trauma. It's a track that's not actually on the album, but we recorded it together in Old Govan Church in Glasgow. This track explores the terrifying experience of the trauma of grief. It's haunting, yet amazingly beautiful. We sat down together for a three-way chat in the kitchen. All a little nervous, actually. Maybe we're more used to expressing our grief musically rather than speaking about it. I, in fact, bumble most of my questions. But never mind. I started by asking Harry about her experience. I guess the kind of the main thing to mention is that I lost my dad by suicide in 2012, um, which had a really kind of profound effect on, I suppose, how I engaged with music. Um, I experienced quite bad PTSD, and I found myself kind of unable to have the relationship with music that I'd had previously, so in a sense I kind of avoided anything which would um, trigger a kind of emotional response in myself, really. Um, Since then, over the last six years, I suppose I've kind of, which I suppose was bizarre because I work um, in a role where I'm constantly facilitating other people's music making. Um, I guess in kind of more recent years, that's kind of come full circle and changed and it's been really interesting to see kind of yeah the changes along that that journey Hmm. yeah it's interesting because a lot of people think of uh music as a positive force and we like to often have like rose-tinted spectacles and say oh music this wonderful thing but you said you had a, a, a fear of music yeah kind of i mean i had um i wasn't really able to engage with any of the things that i'd kind of previously loved i found myself very kind of um what's the word, I suppose, um, kind of frozen in a sense, really, and uh, fearful of having a kind of emotional reaction to things. So, for example, I might listen to, I suppose I was listening to a lot more kind of intensively experimental things or abstract things, but I wouldn't have listened to anything with a melody. I wasn't really playing music at that time. Um, And yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of, I, I suppose, through getting more involved in kind of communities which make music and, for example, I guess, kind of traditional folk as well, um, kind of seeing the impact that has on bringing people together in a way which I think is kind of very therapeutic. Hmm. Right. Very interesting. Um, and how did you how did you get over this fear? Or... Um, I don't know, really. I mean, I guess it just kind of gradually started to change, but it, it was a really, it was really quite a profound thing. I'm aware how ridiculous it sounds, by the way. <laughs> no, I don't think it's that. ridiculous at all. But, um, could, but could, I mean, yeah. Could I just ask, um, were these, these weren't specifically kind of songs that your dad liked that reminded you of him? It was just music which engendered an, an emotional response? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think there's, yeah, so I, I guess something 
um, which I remember very, very keenly from around, you know, let's say like that first difficult year or whatever would be kind of being in a, in a public place or whatever and hearing um, songs or music, which I suppose I would probably, you know, potentially even consider like vacuous or whatever, or, or not my kind of, mm. not something which would normally affect me in any way, but actually feeling very affected by, by mm. these things and feeling a, a bit kind of violated or something in mm. that way. So I suppose that just made me be very, very thoughtful about I think it was maybe um, like a deep need to be really in control of every situation mm. or something. Huh. Yeah. 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 Alex, you said you had an experience with a Puff Daddy song. Well, yeah, I mean, this was quite specific. Um, I mean, you know, it brought, to my, it brought that kind of anecdote to mind mm. from what you were just saying. Because, I mean, this was a, you know, kind of, uh, kind of candy floss song, but um, it had... I mean, it's about Puff Daddy's relationship with the Notorious B.I.G. So it's "I'll Be Missing You" to the so- to the Sting song, "I'll Be Watching You." Is it? Um, so yeah, th- I mean that that has definitely like direct kind of connotations of grief and um, and yeah, I, I guess it's kind of um, everydayness. It's kind of innocuousness, and it's um, was almost one of the things that I found most kind of dislodging. Like yeah, the kind of um, yeah, I guess I guess it had kind of two sides to it because it's directly about grief, but also yeah, there's something about it. it's it's everyday, um, you know, kind of um, like car going into reality in the form of this pop song, which I found really yeah, kind of inescapable and, and really moving. I think. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences where you know just was in the everyday, just things everywhere can, can trigger you, and it's a real sense of necessarily being out of control. Yeah, as, as you you mentioned with. And songs can definitely do that they can right. trigger you so what what is it about the kind of need to control which was kind of gripping you at that point um, just because the emotional experience you know was so overwhelming and out, and out of your control the, the, the event that happened to you yeah I don't I don't know but I, I think it's possibly something to do with my response to the event well you know what ended up happening was me having PTSD and I wonder whether it's something to do with that and like a, com- mm. a complete kind of inability to engage with things so well, it could be that but equally I think um, I don't know I guess the sense of, of grieving is, is a sense of being out of control or it, or it was for me so it's I guess kind of trying to do anything to rein that in in a way mm. Mm. Was the PTSD uh, diagnosed though? Yeah. Mm. yeah I call it PTSD fiddly diddly riddly do. <laughs> Just to make it seem a bit more uh, like user friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, um, we turn to you now. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about about your experience um, of music and loss? Yeah. Well, um, hmm. I mean, you know, music's something that I kind of do almost as kind of like a reflex. It's like my my experience of the world is so kind of um, primed through my relationship to music. Um, that I mean, it, so it infected my kind of writing and things like that. I don't think it really infected my listening habits um, so much. Uh, to be honest, I'm probably at like an all-time low in my life of listening to actively listening to music. So I've just dedicated so much of my life to it uh, that I've kind of become quite jaded by it. So like I've been writing about it, you know, for magazines and writing my own music and playing with people that kind of relentlessly for twenty years or so. So. Um, so I, I tend to look more towards other sources like uh, film or, or you know writing poetry or 
or painting or you know things like that for kind of creative nourishment which I know is not very helpful for this podcast but mm. <laughs> no but it's interesting it's something I relate to quite a lot as well yeah I mean I, I guess I guess it's troubling because it is my living and it's the only way that I can you know I know to exist is mm. kind of through doing music mm. so it's a straight it's a weird um, you know kind of uh, mask that I've put on myself that I can't get off and I desperately want to get it off <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I don't I don't have anything else to do you know yeah so yeah I have a strange kind of bondage uh, relationship to music yeah like I mean you, you guys were talking about it's um, associations and your relationship with it not always being very positive and I, I, that's something that I definitely experience you mm. know? I, I don't have a great relationship with music <laughs> I hate it <laughs> yeah <laughs> But it just loves me somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Somehow I'm really good at it. It's not even love, so it's love hate. <laughs> so how did it then? Well, if it's not uh, listening that you were doing much, how is this? Uh, how did this come into your songwriting? And which obviously seems to be a major way that you've uh, uh, been processing or dealing with things or reacting to things. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned in uh, the interview, but. I mean, you know, it, it was quite telling um, at these moments of total kind of crisis, you know, um, this kind of earth-shattering crisis. Or I guess I just started writing, like, almost, you know, within half an hour of receiving the phone call, maybe an hour of receiving the phone call. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess... I, I didn't really feel like I had a great deal of control over that action... And I was just kind of by myself and just trying to kind of organize my mind a little bit because it was kind of, you know, going into whiplash from this news. And um, it was actually two years ago today. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of kind of reverberations from that day that I'm kind of experiencing right now. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just the most natural way for me to uh, navigate the world is through writing, really trying to kind of... Um, give a kind of poetic voice to my own experiences and particularly uh, push to the point of crisis I guess that's my the the, the kind of um, the most fertile kind of creative ground for me is is um, the human spirit kind of pushed to a crisis point so that was quite a big one you know my, my brother dying mm. and yeah the most natural response is for me to write but there's a lot of kind of contradictory and uh, unresolved um, uh, yeah reverberations from the experience I guess some of the way, some of it feels like an artistic response, but then there's also seems like a, a, a processing response through music. Do you think music helps you process what's going on? These overwhelming things that yeah, sort of um, yeah. I mean, so some of the songs that I wrote um, have these almost kind of talismanic details within them, which I uh, kind of so um, deeply kind of personal to me and personal to the way that my brother uh, and I related, or you know, or things. Um, you know, and continue to relate to each other are, are things that were just kind of private private and precious details uh, that, that kind of re remind me of him that are unknowable to anybody else and I guess in some ways they, they they're kind of uh, implanted into the songs to kind of supercharge them with a personal emotional um, uh, significance for me and yes I don't know if that's kind of communicable to other people I mean you know to the degree that um my younger brother um my younger brother's boyfriend had a twin has a twin uh, manny and he uh he was staying with my brother on his canal boat the night that he died and i asked him to um 
tell me in as much detail as he could remember uh, what it was like to kind of find my brother in the morning and, and try and revive him. So um, some details of that, you know, his his kind of testimony, I went into some of the songs and things. Like mm. Apparently um, in trying to revive him, he ended up breaking his ribs. Um, so that, that's kind of mentioned in one of my songs. Mm. One of the things I was thinking about when I asked you that question is... Um, I guess from a more psychological level as well, is where I felt with grief I had waves of emotion that I didn't know what it was or how to deal with it. And then in processing, somehow music gave me a, um, a form to put that emotion, actually to work out what that emotion was. So when I saw about processing, you, um, I started at a place where I didn't know what was hitting me. And then mm-hmm. when I had a song about at the end, I kind of could put a put a box around, not necessarily a box, but have a mm. place with it. I kind of understood what that emotional force was. Does that relate to either of you or how you experience things? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a version of therapy. That could be a definition of therapy, like giving previously kind of unnamed or unacknowledged uh, em- emotions names so you can acknowledge them better and kind of, you know, categorize them and move you know past them or or, or or use them for your own self-development or anything like that I mean Harry, Harry probably knows more about this than I do as a life coach <laughs> I mean I think for me what that makes me think of is um in terms of my own experiences going to things like um folk sessions for example and having to be exposed to the kind of really difficult subject matter that can be you know sang about in folk songs where there's so much suicide and very very visceral mm things about it which you know normally if I was let's say in a cinema or I was like reading a book I would be able to close my eyes and like you know or, or like you know just stop you know just kind of distract my attention but if you're there in that environment I just thought I had to be exposed to something and actually you're in this space which is held with so many people and mm. I found that hugely transformative and, and therapeutic in terms of yeah like a, a kind of I guess a, a, a space a box in which to explore that stuff mm. And then it sort of sounds like you're being forced to explore it as well and you can't can't get out of it. A little, mm. yeah, out of kind of like, mm. you know, extreme politeness or whatever, mm. even though you feel like <laughs> the adrenaline coursing yeah. through your veins and you, you yeah. just you, you want to leave immediately. But um yeah, through through I, I don't know, you know, being there actually you kind of realise it is okay. And actually I think as well, you know, you, you could be essentially in a room full of strangers. You have no idea what, what the person on the other side of the room, what their experience is. And mm. yet sometimes you can obviously sense and, and, and communicate and, and share that very visceral kind of thing together, mm. even though you might not know that person's name or anything like that. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a wonderful thing about music is that is that sort of sharing of experience and uh, and starting off with these emotions that you can't really you feel like you're on your own with them and the, and and in some ways you are I guess but you can communicate some something of the nature of them to people and and uh, um, so have you found that um, uh, therapeutic as well doing it with other people yeah 100% and yet the thing is that you know none of those people probably even know that I've had that experience <laughs> yet you know I, I well apart from the people that I'm friends with or whatever but I, I feel like it is a shared thing and you know you all bring such different um, life experiences and whatever and, and you may never know and I think that's the kind of for me that's that's the real kind of beauty in, yeah. in those experiences I guess yeah it's connecting without using using the words it's just yeah. connecting through solely through music yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah and I suppose through I guess through um, 
you know, when, when for example, there's kind of song involved mm. or whatever, and when it's kind of traditional song, you kind of, the depth of those experiences and the kind of, the, the timelessness, I suppose, mm. of them as well really kind of resonates. Yeah. And there's, a, there's an element of, there's all these folk who often have like characters or, um, and somehow you relate to these characters and uh, what's going on in the story rather than a, a personal loss. I guess I often think of characters within folk songs as kind of archetypes for human experience. They, are, they often are these kind of ciphers that represent, you know, a particular uh, flavor of human emotion, be it like um, treachery or, or you know, what, whatever, and the mm. whole kind of gamut of folk song, whatever the, you know, the emotional range is quite broad, and and yeah, the the, the stories themselves quite uh, elemental and profound. So I always feel like. That, that that kind of streaks through that music as mm. far as and, mm. and which can make it very moving or you know just the un, mm. and just the unaccompanied voice itself can be so deeply moving and, mm. and recognizable mm. i think there's, there's something else that it highlights as well is the kind of the banal nature of, of grief and bereavement and that kind of thing as well you know it's 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 absolutely it's normal um and i, I think that's quite powerful as well in its own way it's kind of like um, the mundanity of it or something mm. So I guess like there's a yeah you know, we look at a lot of traditional music there's a lot of uh, whether it's through folk and folk characters or whether it's uh, you know also through religious music it's through religious symbols and then um, today there's a lot more sort of personal writing I guess what's the what's happening there what's the the difference between writing with uh, um, um, with with characters uh, and you know writing from your own personal experience I guess that's more to you Alice. Um, well, uh, you know, something that uh, Harry was just talking about that really reminded me of, um, like my, uh, you know, something that really kind of draws me to music and, and something which I try to achieve through my music, which I, I guess, like, simply put, is is um, something to do with kind of identification. Like, you know, you see somebody perform and uh, you as an individual and then you as a kind of um, audience can kind of identify with the emotion which is being conveyed by, you know, the, the person singing or, you know, the performers. Mm. So I, I guess um, that is something which I kind of unconsciously strive to um, retain in my music is is having, like, components to it which are identifiable to other people, which I, I think is something to do with the, the authenticity of emotion. You know, if you try to kind of invest something with an authentic uh, emotional voice and character and then other people could recognize I've experienced you know versions of these emotions before and that's a kind of powerful uh, way of communicating um, so I guess dealing with something like grief and you know the kind of thicker end of the emotional wedge um, you know hopefully my experiences are communicable to other people because I'm inhabiting that experience as wholeheartedly as I can. What is the what's the response been and connection? Because I find again dealing with such a heavy topic, and sometimes you, I find that my feeling is you post these things on social media, and you're like, well, they probably wanted to see a cat video today, and I just <laughs> offloaded my grief on them. And so um, I guess with the, uh, the responses have been uniformly very positive. I mean, it really kind of restores your faith in people that people are kind. You know, hmm. like that people. Yeah, people have been privately um, very, very kind. And, like, it's kind of the friendships uh, that are strengthened through uh, crisis. And, and yeah, it kind of 
it's brought out a lot of uh, positivity in other people and a lot of uh, companionship and uh, solidarity because I guess also what was interesting about something that Harry just said about the kind of banality of grief and its everydayness I guess it is something which um, a lot of people you know inevitably everyone has to experience at some point um, but there isn't too much of a kind of space for it in you know um, mainstream society or whatever you know th- these things aren't really unpacked and talked about and, and shared um, so yeah even though it is every day it's still quite taboo and then if if I guess meeting other people who have experienced I mean it's been one of the things that have kind of united us in, in some ways I, I think and you know it's almost like a kind of secret club or something that you know you've experienced this kind of the shockwaves of this traumatic event and, and I also have and you know meeting people who are have had that experience. I think it's a very powerful uh, adhesive, you know, social adhesive. And um, I mean, do do you guys feel like there is a space to discuss these things in in you know society at large? Or no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, maybe it would be different if you were you know religious or part of some kind of community, like a spiritual community or something. But I guess a lot of people are. So, that. so mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we were kind of talking about this last night, but I mean, particularly you know. Like just <laughs> like an encouragement to engage with your emotions, I feel like is not is not a particularly uh, like prevalent in, in society. You know, to to have you know to say I'm not okay. You know, to 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 kind of stop. You know, the world the world isn't very um, you know kind to to these uh, things. Yeah, but I wonder as well if there's something to do with them. Um, you know, if you talk about an experience of that kind of that enormity or whatever, then I guess you if you it can kind of um, bring up feelings of, of, you know, fear in the person that you're speaking to. They don't know how to deal with it. And if you're yeah. aware of that, then you, I guess you might preempt that by kind of... Yeah, and it, it can be quite way. shame-inducing, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, just, just having the kind of bravery to make yourself vulnerable to say, like, you know, I'm not coping very well. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, like, I've been in therapy for a couple of years and I'm quite proud of that fact because I feel like it's been very beneficial uh, to me. But, you know, I mentioned it to my family and, you know, it, you can see them kind of tensing up a little bit, mm. as if you know, just <laughs> just by you know, just by admitting, you know, I need support, like emotional yeah. support, is is uh, you're saying like, you know, I'm a loony who can't. <laughs> who yeah, can't. That's the reaction I, I kind of feel. That, yeah, that's a very old school attitude. I think it's quite yeah. Around. Hmm. So I guess what you were saying is there's a there's a, um, there's a, a, a sort of a, a bravery to be opening up and say you're not well but I think what you said as well is you're also scared of other people's reactions which I very much relate to it's like you know uh, are you trying to protect them you think they can't deal with it I mean are you protecting yourself as well because you don't know how to deal with their reaction I think it's good very yeah yeah I think that's kind of um, you know you don't want to make people feel awkward do you <laughs> it all just comes down to like a kind of a, a desire to you know I don't know be polite or something but you don't want to put people in that uncomfortable mm. situation and then have to witness their their awkwardness mm. and um but it's weird well, you know you, i find you, that when you, I'm, you probably don't want your vulnerability yeah. almost kind of rejected by somebody else by mm. you know them not you know normalizing it somehow like yeah you're saying i'm not okay whatever you might be saying mm. and then they don't receive that in a way which is kind of um uh you know, kind of hospitable and and and, and uh, empathetic, and they they kind of reject your vulnerability, which can be just quite terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think something as well, which is interesting. I remember thinking, you know, after some time time had passed with my experience, I remember thinking, well, 
you know, maybe one kind of positive of this is that when I have like friends or loved ones who go through these experiences, I'm probably going to be like some expert in how to <laughs> how to talk to them and how to mm. deal with it all. And actually, I find it terrifying when people yeah. talk to me about about it's, all, it's quite triggering as well, isn't it? You know. Mm. It's, I mean, so do you think like music is a kind of potential vehicle for us to experience these issues kind of socially and creatively, mm. like you know, in a way that's slightly more kind of neutral and? Um... Yeah, well, this is exactly where I wanted to come back to. Is so I felt like the right time is exactly that. Music is is that is it that way to communicate these feelings to get across these boundaries? Is it a safe space to be able to communicate these to to feel grief to communicate it? Um, and you know, in the in the where our society lacks this space, music provides that mm. if we know how to use it and have access to it. It was time for a coffee break, but I still had one or two more questions to bumble at them. Oh yeah, one quite interesting as well is about. Um, Experiences like kind of weird experiences um, in that have occurred um, through music, I don't know, in, in dreams or even sort of paranormal experiences, or um, and yeah, I know I've had, had experiences where um, I learned how to play a, a piece of Chopin on the piano, and I had I remember having a distinct experience of playing that piece of music at my aunt's house who has a piano that my mum would have played on it was my granddad's no great granddad's piano uh, initially and I had a, just a really distinct experience of my mum being behind me while I was playing this piece of music I'm not a mm. good piano oh, wow. player or anything mm. and yeah just uh, I think um, in a kind of benevolent way like a kind of um, yeah like quite a quite a motherly way just mm. being behind me as, a, as I as I played and I remember she uh, taught me how to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star oh. and uh, the one that goes on the piano it's a classic yeah classic so that and that was just kind of a spontaneous sensation of kind of presentness from of your mother's presence that you know not kind of it was kind of contextualized by perhaps the emotional connection to this piano and her and her kind of your relationship to her with the piano music and things yeah because I knew she liked Chopin and uh, uh, but this is a piece of music I learned I learned when I was 23 and unemployed and didn't have anything better to do than learn the piano Hmm. and so it's just something I taught myself and and so I just play it every time I see a piano mm. and I can play on it and so I wasn't expecting anything um, and I just started playing it and then I tried to play one of my own pieces of music and it went away and I went back to playing Chopin and I ended up feeling huh. it again and, uh, and quite a yeah quite a quite a strange sensation of, of presence being there through mm. through music mm-hmm. yeah what was the sensation if you can oh um, yeah well just just like she was standing behind me it was a feeling that she was standing behind me watching over me Mm-hmm. How did it make you feel? Like, did you have a positive response? Or? Yeah, I wanted to carry on playing and, and feel that I was enjoying feeling it. I was, I was enjoying feeling any connection towards her again because I'd been so cut off from connection mm-hmm. to her. So, and it felt something very real, and very positive, and very, um, um, you know, I, I don't know what it was. I'm not. I don't, don't believe you know the uh, in disembodied spirits going around, and, but it felt something that's very still very real to me and, and that's uh, I experienced that very positively mm. well that sounds very precious yeah 
Is that something that you can relate to? I don't know if I can think of a specific example, but I guess it makes me think about kind of the resonating nature of all of this stuff. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I dream about my brother routinely. Um, so yeah, like I, I have these. Apparently, this is just peculiar to me. Like none of my the rest of my family experienced this, mm-hmm. um, and I feel in in some ways like very lucky to have uh, that kind of uh, continuous um, kind of psychic connection to him. Um, and I think it's you know people tell me it's my brain kind of processing the uh, magnitude of the trauma and the and the reality of you know his his death. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess there's some kind of comfort in in those uh, experiences. Uh, although the dreams themselves can often be very kind of troubling, you know, the mm. kind of uh, me, you know, kind of convincing him that he died, or, or you know, us doing an activity together which will would indicate like singing a song together, you know, which would as, as a kind of parting, um, and yeah, just just to kind of wake up, you know, cry, crying in the dream and kind of waking up crying and the kind of bewilderment mm. of of uh, the reality of the situation is exhausting. You know, it's an exhausting mm. way to start the day. And, and but it's something that I've been quite uh, this marked my experience quite uh, significantly. But it's how do you how do you how did you interpret that? And it's quite fascinating. Do you have like a, a musical dream singing yeah. to singing with well, your brother? Um, I, yeah. Uh, how do I interpret them? Well. I think it's us, um, you know, saying hello to each other or goodbye to each other. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's strange. I think I've spoken to both of you guys about this separately, but I mean, one of my abiding um, uh, experiences of, of mourning is a feeling of guilt. So, you know, I'm often kind of uh, blighted by an idea that I'm not kind of doing this correctly or enough or or whatever. Um you know, my, my kind of internal critic is, is often quite harsh. Um, and so when I feel like during the day when I'm kind of neglecting to think about it, I guess I am processing it in my own way and, and through 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 these dreams and things is a very kind of pertinent um, way of, of, of trying to come to terms with the reality of uh, his, his death. And also, I mean, the, the most recent one I had, because it's coming up to his anniversary, I was dreaming a lot uh, then. You know, it's just something totally out of control, but it must be a kind of like body memory or something. Um, and the last one, we were both on stage with Will Oldham, and he was playing his song, I See a Darkness. And I'd, I'd set up my uh, drum kit on the stage, and my little brother was setting his up directly in front of me, and I kind of left him to, to play the song together. And then me and my mum were, were kind of watching it and, and crying so that was a <laughs> that was a pretty harsh one <laughs> mm. but yeah that, that was maybe four or five days ago mm. yeah beat that yeah you can't, <laughs> you can't beat that <laughs> I guess we've all we've all got to the conclusion that there's no easy music isn't an easy relationship it's nothing how, do I, how are we going to put this? It's not a. It's not all positive. It's not all, all negative. It's a very complicated relationship, and you know, there's there's negative sides of dealing with music. But yeah, we're all here thinking that music's very important. Mm. Do we have any final thoughts and trying to pin down what we think? You know, why is why this form, and why is it so 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 important? <laughs> Harry, what do you think? What are yeah? I guess, I guess for me, there's something about it being. Um largely a collective experience or a shared experience even if that's kind of you know listening to 
recorded music or, or, or making music with people or, you know, um, you know, even like an audience kind of performer relationship or something, there's something about that which I just think is kind of particularly powerful and maybe kind of links back to what we were talking about, kind of, um, you know, the, the ease with which we, we do communicate or, or the lack of ease, I suppose. Yeah. Hmm. I guess, I mean, music is, yeah, it's communal, it's, communal, it's the most accessible form of expression I, I think you know in, in, in the arts and I guess it's quite an abstract language like no chord pattern relates directly to mm. you know a sequence of feelings but mm. somehow it, you know all music is kind of emotionally charged and emotionally evocative mm. and, and people can experience that communally you know mm. yeah because yeah. I wouldn't say Engaging fully with music is, mm. is is an easy way through. I think the opposite. Somehow, if you engage fully with it, it, it can make things difficult, but complex, and also maybe even and beautiful and deeper. And, mm. and uh, I wouldn't say my relationship with grief and music has made anything easier for me. And I no. think you were saying the same thing. But it, yeah, I mean, there's a kind of necessary kind of emotional labour involved in this experience because it's so kind of seismic, and and to to try to survive it takes a lot of work you know to mm. try and kind of adjust to the way that it's um you know not knocked your mind um you know the, the kind of the, the the blow of the trauma takes a lot of of readjustment and uh soul searching and and mental uh rehabilitation i think um mm. so yeah it's not going to be easy mm. but also we nobody knows how it should be you know there's mm. no I don't know. I guess maybe the kind of unifying factor of it is is that kind of cluelessness of kind of how how to deal with stuff, really. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, should there be more help <laughs> for people? It's useful just to kind of uh, be open about it, and mm. you know, because people are kind and people are empathetic mm. and and caring, and but yeah, there's just there isn't so, so much of a kind of vocabulary for uh, you know de- dealing with strong emotions in, in, you know, in public spaces, really. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, maybe just a, a greater awareness of and, like, attention to some of these issues is, is useful. I mean. And hopefully music can help raise that awareness and provide some of that vocabulary. So this has been the first ever Songs of Loss and Healing podcast. Uh, please do visit the website where you can find the video that we recorded with Alex Rex, plus lots more interesting materials. Thanks for listening. But before you go, Alex wanted to read us out with a poem by the Roman poet Catullus, who lived in the first century BC. Journeying over many seas and through many countries, I come, dear brother, to this pitiful leave-taking. The last gestures by your graveside, the futility of words over your quiet ashes. Life cleft us from each other, pointlessly depriving brother of brother. Accept then, in our parents' custom, these offerings, this leave-taking, echoing forever, brother, through a brother's tears. Hail and farewell.